Hey all, I'm proud to welcome you to the recorded roundtable discussion hosted by Incremental at Bidshek on the topic of marketing efficiency. The term marketing efficiency has been synonymous with marketing automation, a hot topic in the past few years. We wanted to bring the thoughts and opinion of some of the industry's thought leaders into this entertaining form of discussion. In this roundtable, you can learn about what makes marketers take full control, how is marketing efficiency measured, myths broken about marketing automation, and the ultimate question, does marketing automation mean unemployment for you as a marketer? We hope you'll enjoy listening to this roundtable. Hi, uh, welcome everybody. Uh, thank you all for joining our roundtable discussion. Uh, we're hosting this uh, between Incremental and Bichik. And yeah, um, so welcome. And the topic of our uh, discussion is uh, why is efficiency in marketing so difficult to achieve? And then, uh, yeah, before we get started, uh, maybe let's do a quick round of introduction. Uh, so yeah, I'm uh, Maor Sadra. I'm CEO co-founder at uh, Incremental. Uh, we're a mobile measurement uh, um, platform for incrementality in advertising. No, we're not an attribution platform. Uh, personally, I've been in the ad tech industry for the last 20 years, hence the much gray hair. Uh, and yeah, last six years I've been in Applift, which is a mobile performance company. I uh, finished my role there as CEO. The topic of attribution, measurement, tracking has really bothered me for a while. And then I set up to start a company uh, whose vision is to evolve digital marketing from measurement of traffic to measuring value. So hi, I'm Alexandra, and I'm one of the co-founders at BitCheck. BitCheck is a marketing automation platform that basically allows UA manager to manage all their UA channels from one screen and to put a little bit of automation in the UA management. So I've been in the industry for a bit less than Mao for eight years, hence the non-gray hair. Uh, and I'm very happy to be here today. Of course, marketing efficiency is the very reason why we've created BitCheck. So and I'm hoping it's going to be a very interesting discussion. Uh, my turn. So hello, I'm Claire. Uh, I'm UA manager at Product Manage, a gaming company, a gaming publisher of social casino games. Uh, really happy to be here. I'm really passionate about all user acquisition strategy to, to get the right user, but also all the organic strategy as it's really, really linked. So really happy to be here to speak about how to enhance marketing and make, make it like an amazing strategy. And uh, I am Filippo, uh, Chief uh, Growth Officer or Growth Ninja or CMO, whatever you want to call it these days, um, at Traplight. Um, Traplight's been around for about 10 years, but uh, they really just came out now with a pretty uh, successful game called Metal Legion which is our main focus right now. Um, and um, I'm basically uh, in charge of making people happy, working for uh, uh, UA, analytics, uh, community support, and uh, various other activities around that. Um, I've been in the business for about 10 years, probably slightly less, nine. Uh, before that, I was... Uh, doing something totally different which is irrelevant to this conversation so let's proceed <laughs> now before we get started with the questions um adding a small disclaimer so um the opinions and views shared in this discussion from claire aren't in any way connected with to the product madness company view um we just needed to add that 
Now, uh, let's get started. Um, so, you know, we came up with a bunch of questions. We didn't really do prep work. We didn't rehearse this. Um, we're not coming with a set agenda. So starting with the first one, many marketers are taking back control and stopping to use managed solutions. Um, why is that? Who wants to go first? I mean, I can if there are no volunteers. Um, so what I believe is that it's a trend that, you know, we started to see maybe three to five years ago. So we're asking for more hands-on management, real-time reporting, transparency, and so on. In my opinion, there are three main reasons. The first one is probably uh, due to the inefficiencies of managed services slash the lack of trust. Uh, and I'm talking here about all the fraud that has been going on in the industry, the lack of transparency, delays in optimization, the fact that you know most of the time you need to pay a percentage of the spend, so it's, it's a high cost. So I think it's the first reason. The second reason is that um, we now have much more experienced UA teams, right? A couple of years ago, mobile was new, no one understood tracking worked, uh, and now you have like more experienced people, a lot of people that moved as well from the sell side to the buy side, so people know they um, have much more experience in managing campaign. And I think that the, the last point is just that, you know, the industry is much more mature today and it has actually become much easier uh, to self-manage your campaigns, right? Um, the first thing is that you have had, you have seen a concentration of vendors in the past three years with much less intermediaries, a couple of well-identified players uh, that it's easy to reach out to. All of these vendors have self-serve dashboards, which was not the case. You have automation tools, so it's much easier. Um, so, so I believe that, you know, like a year ago when we started BitShake, this was actually the, the trend that we saw and, and we wanted to bring a solution to the challenges that it's bringing, because at the end of the day, internalizing everything is, is very challenging, I believe. So th this is what I, I think. Uh, maybe Filippo and Claire, you were more hands-on in the campaign. Yeah, definitely. So I would say uh, I agree with all what you said. Uh, we as advertisers now, we see a big trend that all campaigns are going in-house. It's also because algorithms are more and more uh, intelligent. So the work of the UA manager is way more on analytical and way less on, uh, I would say, on daily uh, operational. So you need to have uh, an understanding of all what you're running and it's way easier to make it run. So definitely, sometimes, uh, as you are, as you are, when you are marketing, marketer, you want to have a payback windows. It's really important. And if you have some agency fees or so on, then it doesn't make sense because if you have a team, then you can use them and really easily they can produce the campaign. So now everyone is relying on his own data, on da dashboard as well, uh, on BI tool. So I really saw as well this evolution of. Um, in house user acquisition on my side, um, definitely, and I would agree. And it also helps to control more because, as an advertiser, you are also a brand, and sometimes you need to control like what you spread on the market. You don't want food, you don't want a, um, a creative that doesn't represent your brand as well, that is produced, for instance, uh, by an agency. So it really makes sense to also kind of take back the control. Uh, because of the environment we are evolving in. A mute. Uh, <laughs> um, I think we need to make this a little bit more like the uh, 
Trump-Biden discussion uh, and not agree with each other. So we increased the viewership. Uh, no, I, I mean, these are all very valid. There's something else here um, going on, which is uh, related to, to, to all these points. Well, obviously, this is a hot topic, and we could go on forever. Uh, like many of the questions were being posed here, um, but it's um, whether you want to uh, build a certain level of competence uh, in-house for something that is really vital to what you're doing, or whether you, you know, don't care and want to outsource it. Uh, at, at the potential risk of also losing that competence to potential competitors, right? So, because on your expense, the managed solution is also learning things that could be sold elsewhere. So, um, historically, maybe a long time ago now, I mean, mobile years is like dog years. So, uh, you know, it was a couple of years ago, but... Um, People would, uh, you know, focus on, and rightly so, content development, um, studios especially, and not so more, not worry so much about uh, uh, additional functions around running this kind of business. Uh, it's entertainment, but it's also the business of entertainment. So it was very easy to make a decision. Let's just go with somebody who knows how to do this thing. Um, but more and more, we realized um, that we need to, you know, build it in-house. But it is counterintuitive because to a certain extent, as Claire was saying, we spend a lot of time on numbers. We've become mini-analysts ourselves, some of us data scientists, and some of us code SQL, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but the truth is, all we're trying to do is demystify the black box. So it's almost like a black art um, in some sense. Um, so it's counterintuitive because you could you could argue, well, this is so walled garden. I'm just going to get somebody else to do it anyway. <laughs> What's the point, right? But in fact, there's a lot of what I would call secret sauce. Um, how you deliver your creative, how you create your creative, how fast do you test, how fast do you go running with this creative. How do you do ASO? Um, there's probably a number of companies right now hating me who specialize in, in ASO and whatnot. But some of these things are probably quite important to keep in-house as your secret sauce, much like you would keep in-house your, your, your gaming engine or specific uh, groups of assets for your game. You don't want to outsource them. So adding here, but uh, by the way, I would, uh, I would probably want us not to have a biden trump because <laughs> that increase the viewership no that that would just mean that we just need to keep interrupting one another <laughs> yeah, but drama, as, a, drama. as a host i can mute you guys um <laughs> no, so it's like you know i think that a big part was definitely fraud um, and you know even fraud i always use with a disclaimer when i use this word because um I think the system was doing what the system was designed to do. You know, you know, the infamous Uber lawsuit case and um, like the way Uber found out that they were being defrauded and 80% 80 of their spend was just a waste was um, that they stopped advertising for a while. And then they saw that, wait, our, like we cut our paid marketing by uh, 80% and the 
numbers don't go down, the attribution system, the analytic system, the vendors were all doing what they were paid to do. Uh, like the users were still coming, they were just getting attributed. And I think back then also, I think it was, uh, you know, it was common for you as a marketer to run a campaign and get hundred million clicks daily in the US and think, well, that's, that, that seems reasonable. Um, or, um, you know, get a billion clicks a day globally. And they're like, yeah, that's, that seems okay. And I think when um, the whole buzzword and topic of fraud came to be, and it really became like a, on the discussion table for every marketer um, that does um, paid marketing, especially in mobile, um, people stopped like, you know, ignoring things that were running right in front of them. Um, and this is where more and more marketers took control. I think another reason was the fact that as a result of this whole like fraud era, there was kind of a consolidation or in a way, a disappearance of many bad players. And I'm assuming, you know, um, you, Philippe and Claire, you're probably not like a marketer five years ago that works with a hundred vendors. Uh, you're probably working with a lot less. Uh, and you really are uh, challenging who you're working with and, and you want to understand like, what is your media because it, it's like if you trust in a black box and just say, well, you know, I don't know anything and let it do the work, it's kind of like you're also not allowing yourself to learn um, in order to do it again, in order to do it better and so on. So in my view, it's like that plus, of course, it's evolution of technologies. It's like you know, it's like we can do marketing automation these days where five years ago you couldn't. Many of the vendors, even the big ones, simply did not allow it. They didn't want to. I'm going to go out on a, on a limb here and say, um, you know, Uber is a great company, of course. They've uh, disrupted a lot of things. And I have friends there. Uh, nobody important, but just you know, good friends. Um, I'm inclined to say something failed in the somewhere in the uber team there whereby um somebody lacked accountability and very easily offloaded responsibility to third parties now, which of course might have had a clear legal responsibility but i think this is an important point in how we um certain company cultures embrace ownership and accountability and so if uh if being accountable for what you do and, and, and delivering results is not using vendors, then so be it, you know? <laughs> because if it's an easy way out to shrug off your responsibility from your job, just using vendors. Um, so um, to be clear, we, in what we do, it is natural. We use lots of partners, um, but we are still responsible to deliver results to our company. We cannot, just say, well, you know, they did fraud. Well, should have caught it, right? <laughs> uh, and maybe it was impossible for whatever reason. But um, I think it's really important to, to note that we have to take responsibility as much as a product manager or game designer is responsible for that LTV and that retention. We contribute to that and we have to be responsible for it. Yeah, I, I think it's a bit unfair to the Uber team it was, not, it was across the board it was not just a lack of responsibility it was 
every party in the equation was turning a blind eye or ignoring because everyone had an interest, right? The attribution platform at the time they were paid per, per click and not per event. The vendors were delivering. The UA managers were reaching their goals. So it got to a situation yes. where this virtuous circle that was hurting the company, but because the personal goals were not aligned with the company's goals, then it was a big, a big fail. Right. Right. Well, yeah. Actually, so you know, Uber ended up suing their agency, and for some reason, they rolled it off the agency and sued the media vendors. Yeah. Who do you think is accountable here? Is it Uber? Is it the attribution solution? Is it the vendors? Is it the fraudulent publishers? Who is actually like, liable? You know, it was, it was funny because I remember I had a panel with uh, someone from AppsFlyer at the time because it's after this click spamming that suddenly all attribution platform came with like fraud system and everyone had their own standards and like the vendors were pointed. But I think everyone was kind of responsible at the end. Uh, I mean, the attribution platforms were clearly yeah. not attributing the right installs to the right source. The vendors were turning maybe a blind eye and not really delivering transparent traffic. So it was a mix of responsibilities, I'd say. Actually, Filippo, maybe you remember this. Once I was, when I was in Applift, I gave this like presentation about um, the mobile ecosystem and fraud and chaos. And I had this slide with, who is responsible? And it was just this uh, Keanu Reeves sitting like this, which is us, it's all of us. Like we, as an industry, were responsible for this shit. Pardon my French. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there is a couple of French people on this call. Yes, yes, that's why I'm... Uh, yeah, you yeah, want... I mean, we could organize another session just dedicated. <laughs> let's say, uh, let's go for the Let's go for the next question that we came up with. How does one determine market efficiency? Is it a volume game? Is it ROI? Is it team size? What is marketing efficiency? Um, this is worse than who is responsible. <laughs> I can start. And I think that people tend to mix up marketing efficiency and campaign performance, right? At the end of the day, for both of them, the definition is the same. It's the result that you achieve with every dollar of marketing spend. Now, the difference is what marketing spend should you take into account? Uh, is it just the up marketing budget invested in things or should it include all of you know, the full cost of your marketing department, HR costs, automation tools, da, da, da. And what I believe is that it should include everything because at the end of the day, if you manage to reach your campaign's KPI with a team of 50 people and you could do the same with 10 people and one automation tool, then no, I don't believe that your marketing operations are efficient. So um, I think it's the way to look at it, to really include in the spend more than, than the app marketing budget. I know it's interesting. It's like, so in, a, in a Traplight and Product Methods, these are a very digital, uh, digital first companies, of course. And um, like when you imagine if, uh, if, um, if you guys were selling a product, a retail product, then the marketing department would have hundreds of people. And, uh, you know, you switch a button and boom, you're running a campaign in Thailand and Japan and the US and Korea. And again, you're, you're not there, you're here. And I think that for me, marketing efficiency is indeed uh, very much aligned with what uh, Alex was saying. It's the ability to actually handle this enormous line item within a company PNL with a very, very lean team. It's the ability to create a strategy and execute a lot of the processes in an automation sense 
And I think that's kind of like the end goal for marketing efficiency. Um, and again, at some point, you need to scale up the team. You need to scale up creative. You need to scale up analysis. You need to scale up research and so on. But I doubt that, um, you know, a, a marketing team for a very large uh, digital advertiser would ever be the size of the Procter & Gamble global marketing team, which probably has a couple of hundreds, if not thousands of people, excluding the number of third-party agencies they're actually using. So that's pretty much efficiency in my view. Yeah, definitely. I think like a proper efficiency in marketing is actually not watching only marketing, but watching all what you have around and all what your business wants at the end of the day. Because as a marketing team, like you can still spend money like everywhere really easily now because we are working in digital and we have the ability because of all those platforms really smart now to kind of spend everywhere in the world in five minutes, which is quite amazing. But we also have to understand like what is the business strategy? What are the business goals? What are the end goals at the end of the day? If I have a product uh, where... Um, I don't know, my, my brand awareness is really good in, in US. Like, does it really make sense to spend in a location where you don't have um, proper uh, customer basis? And if yes, like, are you backed up by your product team, by, by your CRM team? Like, you really need to exchange to speak with the user and see it as, um, you know, as a real marketing strategy and a, a real plan. Like, you can't say, I want to penetrate this market today because basically I woke up and I said, oh yeah, Thailand is the next, next place to be. Like you really need to think and to know the game you're working in and what are the goals and what are the strengths and what are the weakness. And I think this is not only marketing. It's also related to finance. It's also related to product. It's also related to retention, to many organic channels. But as a UA manager, you're not always watching at it. Let's be honest, because sometimes companies they don't um, they don't have proper marketing penetration plan. But it's definitely what you should do. Um, a lot of synergy and a lot of uh, exchange. Like I I don't know, but Spotify they are really good at it. Actually, like they launched like the U team, where they have one marketing person, one CR, and one data scientist, and everyone is working together. You're the expert in what you're doing, but you are working with people that are not only doing what you are doing. And I think that this way, you are going really to have a, a sustainable growth. Yeah, uh, I, um, I, I have to agree a lot with what Claire is saying here. No, no, no Uber discussion. Um, the efficiency in some companies is defined as uh, I've got to be the biggest, regardless of profitability, right? Uh, so spend as much as you can, scale as much as you can. Um, in all the companies I worked in, there was always a question of profitability um, and never, you know, go crazy. And sometimes uh, competing with companies that would go crazy was very hard because we're all in the same auction, right? So you're fighting with like, I have a 30 day attribution window. Some people would do like, oh, I have a 365 day. So I just capture all the organics, you know? So I'm insane stuff like that I've witnessed. 
So thus making the competition really tough to price you out of the market um, and uh, ultimately making the whole marketing extremely inefficient uh, because you're obviously <laughs> spending in an inefficient way to compete with them. Um, but you know that company has their objectives and we have our objectives. So that's, that's really the uh, true efficiency in marketing is impossible. Marketing is, is an engine. Uh, as sometimes referred to, <laughs> the growth engine. Um, no engine in the world is 100% efficient, right? Um, I think probably jets are the most efficient at this point. Um, but yeah, that's, um, you know, this is another one that we could discuss forever how we see efficiency and if it's efficient or not. I, I, I very much like the, like, how, uh, how you put it clear when it comes to, so the efficiency starts in the strategy, and it's very lucrative, especially when you're a digital marketer, to switch on Thailand because, well, you can, you literally can. And, you know, I actually think of one of the, I have two examples of the worst marketing efficiency stories that I can think of. Um, one of them was Mitsubishi. Um, they, uh, they had this Jeep. Um, and I think, uh, Filippo, I think you know a little bit Spanish, so maybe you will laugh a lot. Um, so they had this Jeep and they started like marketing it in certain countries. And then they went to Latin America and it uh, was crazy investment. If you're a car manufacturer, the, uh, the Jeep name was uh, Pajero, uh, which is in the Spanish Pajero. And um, if you speak a little Spanish, you know that it's quite an offensive word and uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah the other one by the way was kfc when kfc came to israel i'm originally from israel um they created crazy marketing campaigns in preparation to launch and then um, a few days before launch they realized that uh well the uh, the it's not kosher and um if you launch a if you launch a food chain in israel that is not kosher you're not gonna do super well yeah, so that's like the opposite of marketing efficiency. When you're just, it's it's so easy for you to open markets and test stuff out. But if there is no thought, if there is no coordination internally as well, you're going to just mess it up. And uh, yeah, I definitely think that the way to measure marketing efficiency is to measure waste, which currently there is not too many platforms out there that measure waste. Um, yeah. But. We have one very close to home. <laughs> in the gaming industry of this uh, Jeep example. Uh, I hope uh, you don't have a lot of Italian viewership, but uh, there are some people close to the origin of the story that say that this was done on purpose. The Sega Master System, um, which was aptly named Sega in Italy, uh, and just that. Um, some people, old timers, claim this was done purposely on purpose to really drive the sales through the roof because it is a quite inappropriate word that you would use <laughs> very colloquially, uh, but it was done. Uh, and uh, there are countless examples in various industries, but this one's particular to our industry. And uh, it seems to have had a pretty good solid result in Italy at the time because of the very catchy name. Uh, uh, yeah, that's so in that case, I would say maybe very efficient, uh, but also very gray area, you know. <laughs> cool. Okay, let's go for our next uh, question. So it's kind of like, you know, a very, uh, in a way, repeating the previous one, but does marketing efficiency mean less spend? 
Um, I didn't actually start in this one myself. I just um, don't necessarily think so. And uh, you know, if I look at a lot of research we've done at uh, Incremental, so Incremental's whole purpose is value, value, unlocking value. And you know, we have like one of our alpha customers. They're they're spending two hundred million dollars on marketing uh, a year. They know they have waste. They don't want to spend less. They just want to get value for two hundred million. And it's uh, you know, I've spoken so far at least with a hundred companies who advertise for a living, like B two C companies. And they all pretty much tell me the same. They, they're not looking to save. Yes, profitability is, of course, very important. But when we are in a growth market, when you can still grow, um, it's not about spending less. It's about getting the value for your buck. Yeah, I, I tend to agree, Maor. Uh, sorry, Filippo, I know you wanted some fight. But uh, basically, from all the clients that we have, uh, we're saying that it increased spends. Um, and at the end of the day, it just goes down to one thing, right? From the moment you're in better control, you can make sure that you're reaching your KPI. So if your marketing is profitable, then sky's the limits. Um, also, you know, you have automation. It frees some, some time to focus on exploring new channel, new strategies. So you're spending even more on that. And I think that the last thing that we saw is that once um, you start getting automation, you are able to unlock new uh, sources of traffic, okay? And I'm gonna take here a very simple example. You're looking at the SDK networks. These guys for one country, they have like 1,000, 2,000 site IDs, set sources. From if you're doing, if you're managing the campaigns manually, you would probably optimize the top 10, 20, 30 sub sources because it's impossible to manage 1,000, right? From the moment you start automating, then the automation will apply to all of those site IDs. And what we've seen is that there are some sleepy site IDs that were just sleeping because they were not getting the right attention or the right optimization. And from the moment that thanks to automation, you get to that very granular level, suddenly you're unlocking new sources of traffic with big volumes and profitability. So, so what we've seen is actually the contrary. Marketing automation means increased spend. Yeah, de definitely. Like uh, I really agree. I think it really leads to better performances and less time in also boring work, which is what all UA manager marketers they want to avoid and to focus more on what really matters, meaning the business goal as well. And all this time that you are winning, uh, actually, you can. Uh, use it, as we said, to have strategies to do, make business plan on where you want to expand on super competitive market. Like, for instance, social casino is such a competitive market. We need to have proper strategies and strong strategy where we all work together. And thanks to all those automat automation tools, we are really able like to, to scale some market because we have time to, to see what is the best in each and everything is automated and we are not you know like like we were um few years ago on excel uh, trying to find the right data and the right producer or something like this to get the, the good information like now like everything is going so fast like we saw it with covid for instance like we have um we have curves going up and down and we need to be super flexible as as a, a marketing manager and understand how it works and Without automation, uh, we are losing this flexibility because we are uh, we are too slow when a really fast environment. 
what was the what was the question again? Because I, <laughs> I feel no, no. The reason why I'm asking is because you opened the slide, asked the question, right? Sure. Yeah, there you go. And you said, does market if if marketing efficiency mean less spend? Marketing so is ah, it efficiency or automation? Because automation. I've all okay, no. So marketing automation, does that okay. mean less spend? That's uh, you know, it's it's one of those change the word and everything changes. <laughs> right. Um yeah, I mean they uh well I think Alex and uh, and Claire really covered it well reading the question properly on the automation. Um the the truth is that the role is really uh changing, right? As we were saying in the previous questions. We uh we're not marketers are not just media buyers anymore, which is a very demeaning way to put it, but uh there is a little bit more to it now and there should be more to it which involves a kind of different disciplines put together uh being excel junkie to creative mind to uh uh product marketing type person that really cares about the funnel cares about the content and supports that and defends that right so um to this day, we still have this interesting dichotomy in studios where product and marketing are kind of, you know, but they shouldn't at all. They should really be very collaborative um, and kind of work towards the same goals. Um, and so, you know, that's what automation allows us to do, to really do the, the job properly. Um, instead of just mind-numbingly set up targetings and, and and do other things like that which really a machine can do faster and better than us um so that's really the evolution that is happening here um, but it's it's gradual it's not going to happen overnight yeah. i personally think that you know if you if you look at like the self-driving uh, future i think that the marketer's role in in this equation is to actually construct the right strategy so that the car knows what to do in this case, in this case, in this case. But the marketer doesn't need to be the wheels. It doesn't need to be the steering wheel. It doesn't need to touch it. It does need to in, in, like design it and continuously iterate on it based on strategy because strategy change and strategy reacts. And we're in marketing. I just, you know, personally, by the way, I don't believe very much in like deterministic marketing because it's marketing. It's like if we could just predict what the user is going to do then like cool but we can't same as self-driving cars can't predict the environment it starts raining you have a pedestrian jumping to the road a dog a cat a grandma um you need a human being there reacting so personally i think that uh, and we'll get to it later uh, you know so i'm not gonna complete this sentence because otherwise it kind of like ruin one of the next questions um and going to the next question before the one I was commenting about, do incentives play a part in marketing efficiency? Let's see who's the brave one that wants to start with this one because it's you know a bit of a sensitive topic. I, I mean, I don't think it's that sensitive to be honest. Like I'm a big fan of incentives and I do believe that incentives based on the right KPIs do contribute to efficiency. Um, now the whole condition is that it should be based on the right KPIs. 
and and we spoke about it earlier i think that uh, there have been a lot of mistakes done in our industry while defining the kpis and and with this whole click spamming stuff i mean people were judged on spends and quality and at the end of the day were pushing to get more click spamming because because it was bringing more volumes good quality and at the end they were just paying for organic installs so i think that as long as the kpis are well defined meaning that a they should not be only based on personal or team goals but aligned with company goals uh, they should be adjusted very often because you know our industry is changing all the time like eight years ago you were judged on the conversion rates uh, of your campaigns i mean today it, it sounds a bit stupid right so as long as the kpis are defined as they should yes i'm like a big defender of incentives and i think it contributes a lot to efficiency i think about it like um you know a couple of months ago and i was just looking at it um you know some of the uh, analytics and attribution companies keep sending out um like an index a performance index and if you look at their index from a year ago it had a lot of players which we now know are very fraudulent players now I would say that at some point someone was getting bonus for um for driving traffic on those players because everything looked good for a while. And uh, personally when I think of incentives so I I really think it starts with hiring. So and I think Filippo said it earlier it's like about accountability and responsibility. So if you hire people who actually care, they actually care. And then uh you know I just don't believe that the job of a, a growth manager or a performance marketer or whatever you want to call it is simple enough for you to be able to set a magical KPI um because is it profitability what if the company is now on a growth mode and they want to sacrifice profitability for the growth um what is the meaning of um growth when uh, are you looking at volume again are you looking at revenue are you looking at uh, engaged players are you looking at so in my view and it's i think it's kind of backed out by research as well is the only right way to incentivize is to give a pretty long term um, goal as a company align the team to it um and the best incentive is the one that doesn't come frequently comes once in a long time once a year and a big fat amount because then everybody's pretty much aligned best way is of course to do it by shares but if the company is not yet public then it's not necessarily ideal but uh, i think that there has been a lot of misincentivization in this industry that caused a lot of people to kind of look the other way and again even on a cmo level um so it's just happened because well sometimes as a manager you do think that if i'm just going to give my people a bonus if they reach this goal they're going to reach this goal not realizing that oh this goal can be extremely easily manipulated and even if the people don't mean to manipulate it it's just well it is how it is it's like uh, we are not dealing with tangible goods we are dealing with ones and zeros and we don't really know um sometimes up to a very long uh, period of time later that all these thousand um, insoles i got they're all bots we don't know that yeah to be honest it's it's in a lot of industries i used to be a an investment banker before and financial markets and those incentives they were one of the reasons of the 2008 crisis so uh, i agree that you know the, the, how you define them is the most important um i actually have a very strong position about this 
The answer is no. We do not incentivize people to do better their job, okay? We incentivize people to manage their talent, to retain their talent, to develop their careers. Um, you get a salary for doing your job, period. So net-net, uh, if you start creating incentive packages for marketers, you are always going to get a conflict in the company. Whether you like it or not, it is very difficult to not manage not to have a conflict. Um, because you are creating kind of an exception inside the company compared to everyone else in the company who has different roles, right? Because how are you going to make incentives for artists, right? Um, so it's more about managing and retaining talent and creating a package that is obviously valuable, right? For that kind of marketer and the growth person, etc. Uh, with bonuses, with, you know, based on objectives, et cetera, et cetera. But if you say, you know, I'll give you an extra 100K if you get me another 20% ROAS, that's, that's bizarre marketing. That's, uh, that is not, that is not how we should consider this because we are dealing with commodities. We're dealing with, you know, uh, consumer products, right? But we're not selling shampoo, okay? We're selling entertainment products. We're selling uh, apps, web-based things, right? And uh, yeah, that's um, we could we could open a topic here on how Queeby fell apart, uh, but let's uh, let's not go there. But maybe there was some wrong incentivization there. Maybe hypothesis. But, but still saying that based on objectives. You, you should uh, compensate uh, the employee, right? So, of course. So of it's, course. it's an incentive, right? You have one part that is based if you reach your objective. So right. So take a step back. What I, what I mean is when I hear incentive, I hear conversations I've heard before, which is, hey, if you get me another you know, 10,000 installs mm -hmm. or get me another X amount of ROAS, I'll give you a bit more salary, creating a set of a secret organization within the company. Those are terrible tactics. You're part of the company, you're part of the product, you're part of our ship here, right? And of course, I'll pay you more than others because you are very God's work and whatever, sure. But I'm not gonna give you a special incentive to do better your job. I'm paying you to do your job. So um, it's, you know, and then there is stock options, this and that. There are, very, there are a lot of vehicles, right, to create incentivization, which is not a pure, when I hear incentive, normally I kind of interpret it as a, I'll give you a rev share. That's insane stuff. For manage, you need extremely disciplined management for that. And let's, let's not dream. There is no disciplined management in this industry, bar a few exceptions. There are some very rare exceptions or extremely disciplined. Yeah, I can I can tell you by the way a, a real story. I um, so during Uplift, I was working with a very big gaming company, and um, roughly three years into the relationship, um, they basically told us, "Hey, uh, we have an issue. Um, roughly a million installs from the last six months don't show up on our game servers." Now we got postbacks from their attribution solution. Obviously, it was a case of SDK spoofing, so it was all just fake installs. Uh, none of them happened. Now, okay, we're like crap, we need to look into this. We looked into it. Indeed, uh, it was the case. And I remember when we were like, 
discussing uh, agreements with the uh, this marketer, their CMO tells me, um, yes, let's solve this quickly because I want to go back uh, live with you guys. And I was like, but why? It's like, why would you want to go back live with me? Like, literally, we just saw that the last six months, we generated nothing for you. And, uh, you know, we had all the checks and balances, but we generated nothing for you. Why do you want to go back live? I got to get my bonus. Yep. And that's a CMO for a pretty big gaming company. So, yeah, I, 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 I get the concept of objective, by the way, because obje objectives usually are a bit more vague, big, uh, untangible. It's not like get me 20,000 users and get your bonus. Um, objective is we want to be, um, the, I don't know, considered as in position as one of the best free-to-play companies in this. That's an objective. That's a, something that's a less tangible and um, less measurable, but um, like easier to actually incentivize people with the, with the, actually the, um, with a belief, with a story, with a vision. Yeah, I agree. And um, now that I get the question, <laughs> sorry for that. Um, yeah, I, I would say because I'm the most uh, operational here, like, first, like, do something you like and negotiate your salary when you enter, and then you will be the ATS and you, you will not even need incentive. Like, to be honest, me, when I change of position, I negotiate really hardly my, my salary. And so I'm really happy with it. And I don't even need after a bonus or something like this because I really like what I'm doing. Actually, I'm really passionate and I see all the chance I have to do the, the job I like in a big company that, uh, of course, can make me grow. And I think this can like experiences and all of the projects you can work on even more than incentive. Because if you are doing interesting things, interesting projects, that's also a way to grow, I think, in your company. Well, let's go for the next question so um this is a, this is an actual like um figure i got from uh, most of the attribution solutions out there uh average marketer spends with with 15 to 60 vendors there that's the average um i'm working with one company works with 6000 vendors uh, but they're the outlier um <clears throat> would limiting this to a handful um help improve efficiency in your opinion actually i i don't think so um, to be honest, again, it all goes back to campaign efficiency, team efficiency. In my opinion, you should use as many ad vendors that are available at, on two, based on two conditions if they can provide you with unique users that generate revenue. So as long as you can control that there is no overlapping between the ad vendors, and I'm talking here about unique traffic sources, incrementality, da 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 and as long as you can monitor the revenues that are generating and that you see that it's profitable, then don't limit yourself. Uh, yes, it can be challenging to have several ad networks, but there are some solutions in order to allow you to maintain efficiency and to equip yourself with the right tools that will allow you to manage all these vendors at once. So I think the challenge here is more to find more diverse uh, you know, ad vendors than to manage them if they are too much. So in, in my opinion, not necessarily. Actually, here, here. so I'm going to give Felipe what he wanted, a bit of controversy. So, you know, Facebook and Google practically have 100% reach in the U.S. So you could just pick one of them and just work with them. Um, and 
I think we all can agree that's probably not the best and wisest thing to do. And in my view, it's like working with more sometimes indeed gives you this capability, even though there is an overlap in reach, because you as a marketer, you're basically going against the vendors. So um, one of the uh, like ethos I had uh, while working at Applet was uh, the demand side manifesto. Our belief was there's supply players and there's demand players. If you're a supply player, your goal is to optimize yield for you, not for the advertiser. You want to increase your eCPM because your limitation is the number of page views, ads you can sh uh, show. While on the advertiser side, you're not, you don't care about the publisher's eCPM. You care about your ROI or your customer acquisition costs. You want to minimize that. Now, especially when you work with vendors um, who own the inventory, like Facebook, like Google, your goal is to kind of work against them. And the power for you to do that is to work with multiple vendors. The challenge is that to the outside, sometimes all vendors look the same. If you open a Lumascape and you see that there's like a thousand, not, I don't know, I don't know, the, the MMPs, for example, they all have 6,000 vendors integrated, 2,000 vendors integrated. And I'm like, why? Um, for sure, there's a lot of vendors there who literally do nothing in the value chain. We also know that there's a lot of vendors who are literally just plain all fraud, 100% fraud, that for some reason they're kept. Um, so on the one hand, I would say I, I do advocate to using multiple, but I think marketers need to really do their diligence before they start working with anyone. I think we, we reached a point where we are a bit more sophisticated, plus super interesting that, you know, um, this would not happen in other industries, but the fact that Filippo and Claire here are on the same call and they can have a conversation together. And even though they are competing, they also share a lot of knowledge and a lot of best practices with one another, um, gives them strength and gives them powers to actually do things better and also shove the bad players out because the bad players really hurt all of us in this industry. I think we're, we're saying the same thing now uh, at the end of the day. What, what I meant is that user on Facebook, you might not be able to reach them with the price that you're going to pay on iron source. So that's why I was putting into perspective unique user at the cheapest price generating the most revenues. Um, but yeah, bottom line, I, I agree. Um, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think I agree with both of you and even more on what Alexandra said, like why we diversify our mix. It's also because it gets so competitive and we want to scale uh, in other channels where our competitors are maybe not. So uh, we might unlock opportunities. So it definitely worth to try, but we need also to keep in mind that all the products are not at the same um, maturity. I mean, the, by product, I mean at platform. So it can take time, resources, and uh, a lot of effort to scale on it. So even if I'm for using because you might miss some opportunities. You also need to kind of also see what opportunities it will bring to you and uh, really not do everything same time. And, uh, and I mean, really give all the chance to a new channel. Like for instance, in gaming, a lot of people now are spending on, on Reddit because everyone uh, figure out that it's an audience that you can't reach on Facebook in US, for instance. Um, with a lot of niche community and so on, but you really need to see if it's, it's okay for your business actually, because uh, you don't want audience overlapping. You don't want uh, 
a user that are not going to convert in your game and you don't want to buy at a price that is not the right price for you. So even if you need to diversify, I think you need to do it carefully as well. I, uh, first of all, want to say, Maor, uh, I definitely agree on uh, the notion of co-opetition because I want people to play a social casino with Claire as much as playing crazy battles with Battle Legion because uh, our ultimate enemy is not us, but uh, Netflix. We are competing with Netflix for eyeball time. So the more you play games, the Great, fantastic. The more you're into games, um, and yes, you know the. Actually, I think the the industry on the whole doesn't still do a good job at, you know. Tying better relationships to shoulder out bad actors or even make the supply chain more. Um, and to your point, the supply chain has a an inherent default problem which needs to be addressed that supply and demand are inherently in a conflict of interest right one is dealing with yield and the other one with a different kind of yield um the thing about this one is in a utopian scenario we could do what alex says which is we could really understand the spend everywhere because of let's say this is answer but multi-touch attribution right that we can see that thanks to that ad over there i got the install over here but here's where the the product knowledge comes in to recognize that um not all users are created uniquely uh you know um so the the user that comes from the newsfeed right of the facebook newsfeed ad is Maybe the same user I get on IronSource, but when they saw the ad on IronSource and they were actively playing another game, there is a different UX. There is a different path to install and getting to play your game. So it's actually better for us to go and get that user from IronSource because they might actually be more interested in what we're offering, even though that user will have seen the ad on Facebook, on Google, on IronSource, on Vungle, on etc cetera, etc cetera, etc cetera. um so that's where i think the the true inefficiency is that we are still trying to understand right how the users are created through the different experiences we're still trying to you know we're we're data scientists but what we're really trying to do here in our jobs is we're sort of amateur anthropologists you know, trying to define a real human being from those numbers, and it's and it's the toughest part of the job. You know, it's like super interesting. So, so um, I don't want to be too salesy about incremental, but when I came up with the first idea, the first idea we had was we're gonna build first-party attribution. Okay, we're gonna sit on your domain, and then we will be able to get all the uh, marketing events, and then we'll be able to do multi-touch. And the challenge with that is that. You're very much correct. It's like Facebook likely touched the same user that IronSource did, and pretty much everybody touches everybody. Now, uh, multi-touch, besides the fact that it cannot happen because you don't, you will not get the data from the big platform. If you want to do kind of like multi-touch, take your budget, divide it by the number of vendors you work with, give each one a check, 
kind of like edtech communism, that would be the closest thing to multi-touch. Now, yeah, I would say, uh, you know, what, what kind of like what incremental's approach is, yes, indeed, I, I don't believe that a user funnel has one touch point. Like, you guys have products with a, uh, like a pretty high LTV, like hundreds of dollars, if not sometimes even more. Um, users does not see one ad, click it, converts, and then spends thousands of dollars. There's like, you know, there's uh, attention, awareness, intent, desire, action before all of it happens. And uh, yeah, the way that like analytics or attribution has kind of been like handled or positioned itself so far is that, no, we're just going to give you the last touch point and that is 100% correct. And indeed, it caused a lot of click spamming for a while. But even in today's world, by the way, if, like, I know of a few DSPs, and definitely will not name names, whose system average ECPM is two cents and three cents. That means that, yeah, maybe they're not click spamming and maybe they are showing ads, but they're just blasting ads for super low price on everything because they get attributed on view through. So I once put, put this post on um, social media with a unicorn licking a uh, ice cream saying, well, I licked it, it's mine. Um, yeah, so I had a buddy like that in high school who would lick the pizzas and basically said, these big pieces are mine. Um, yeah, moving to the last question. Um, does marketing automation- Filippo could be this kind of guy, right? <laughs> How did you not know that I didn't do that in high school? So, kind of moving to the last question. Uh, does marketing automation mean marketers become unemployed? Uh, yes, this is the vision of Bitshake to get all US marketers unemployed. We think that unemployment rate is not high enough with Corona, so we are here to help. Uh, no, I think we discussed it already, and I think that, of course, not um, what we've seen with our clients and the goal of, of, of Bitshake as well is that clients who started to automate their UA, uh, not only they did not downsize, but actually in many cases, they grew the team and hired more people. As Claire said, today your people are hiring UA managers with high education, spending 50% on their time, logging into dashboard, clicking on a campaign, changing a bit, doing some very boring, repetitive robotic work. Uh, that can be replaced by automation. And this is what Bitshake is doing. But the idea is to free up their time so that they can focus on more strategic stuff, exploring new channels, building new strategies, uh, and invest their time and energy on driving real growth than, rather than just you know being robots. So the answer is definitely no. Yeah, I, I completely agree there. I think that the marketing automation basically helps smart marketers become smarter and then negotiate better salaries. Um, so yeah, I think again, it's like if I look at the all um, all of the like you know the future AI uh, world um, where there's always fear that oh I'm gonna lose my job. No, I think your job just elevates to deal less with like again going to dashboards and clicking buttons and actually spending your time thinking. If you think of like a Developers. So developers is one of the most interesting examples because a developer's job, what they do eight hours a day or four hours a day, depending on who, where you work, um, the most of their day is thinking. It's not coding. It's thinking, how will I solve this problem? Coming up with an answer, writing a bunch of uh, pieces of code, and that's it. And 
like ideally a marketer also reaches that future where their day is spent conceiving hypotheses, uh, tests, um, ideas. Um, how do I create a strategy to do this and this and this rather than logging into 50 dashboards and um, pressing buttons? Yeah, um, I totally agree to be honest. And I think it doesn't make you unemployed. And in contrast, it makes you keep being employed because when you're doing manual things, you are really more likely to do mistakes. And that's why actually people, they automate it process. It's not even just because we want to, I mean, we, of course we want to get smarter and everything, but it's because you marketed marketer on spreadsheets, they used to do a lot of mistakes. So now, thanks to marketing automation, for instance, with a big check, like you are, really have the opportunity not to do those mistakes that you can avoid. So this is key for your business to save time, but also to keep your job because uh, you don't want to be unemployed. Uh, so definitely, I think it's, it's, uh, it's saving job and it doesn't make uh, people unemployed. You are mute. Ah, you were muted. <laughs> it's a misclick. It's, uh, it's the usual business, click spamming. Uh, <laughs> the truth is absolutely what Claire said. That you are doing a lot of these human mistakes. Uh, you're also very version of yourself, which you and I, Mao, need to be really concerned about uh, as as we age gracefully. Uh, but um, more to the point, automation should let us do what we're really meant to be doing, um, which is which is really critical because. Uh, I think the, the kind of the worst part is we, we do spend a ridiculous amount of time on activities which are really not adding value to the company. They're really just addressing challenges um, because we spend so much time troubleshooting, identifying problems, et cetera, et cetera. And we're not actually thinking about, hmm, should I do an ad for the Super Bowl? You know, like, yeah, some companies have the bandwidth to do that, but they also have other people. Um, so uh the bring on automation for sure as much as possible um if anything we're going to become automation certified right remember this conversation happened uh, with um a company i was working at and you know now you have to use a salesforce you're going to be replaced by somebody younger because salesforce does everything for you right <laughs> Okay, cool. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Well, actually, no, Salesforce uh, needs many more intelligent hands to do it now. So you need to customize it, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, Specifically Salesforce, I think it's the one that requires the most customization. It's really, yeah, it was really funny. Like this company was new to Salesforce. And we're like, oh, we can fire all our vendors now. Yeah. Sales people. Uh, <laughs> wow. No, we need two dedicated salespeople now to work on Salesforce. Uh, so yeah, that's the same thing. It's the same thing. Like uh, we, we're, we're going to become automation certified in the sense that we can use automation and then get on with the rest of our lives, <laughs> which is really, you know, rather than be doing a job that a machine can do. Right? Um, and to be fair, a lot can be said about this because of course the black box and everything. But to be looking at the glass half full, the big guys 
and also Unity and IonSource with the ROAS optimizers. They're trying to do that, right? They're trying to say to you, you should just sort of fire and forget the campaign, right? And of course, we have our reservations on that. And we want to say to them, well, a little more control. I'm not asking for much, but just a little, you know, not just here, take my assets and go and have fun. Um, but, uh, you know, their intention is exactly that. They, they, they do not want people to be messing around. And, you know, the real agenda is because if you mess around too much on my algorithm, you're going to break my company. <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> Cool. Uh, so that kind of was the last question. So at this point, I think we can um, say our thank you. Um, I, I found it really fun, interesting. Um, if anyone wants to reach out to any of you, uh, so I'm LinkedIn is probably the easiest place to, to find me. Uh, if anyone wants to reach out, wh where can they find you? LinkedIn as well, or by email, alexandra at bitcheck.com. Uh, LinkedIn as well, like, don't hesitate if you want to add me, no problem at all. <laughs> uh, well, you could either contact Alexandra. <laughs> and you put me in touch with Filippo, because you know him, so I don't know. Or... Uh, WTF at traplightgames.com also works, uh, or just hit me up on LinkedIn. Well, thank you very much for your time. It's been a pleasure. I'm going to stop the recording in a second. And yeah. <laughs>